Hello and welcome to the Jazz Jam Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Gunnels, joined by my co-host, Max Levy. How's it going today, Max? Hey, good to be here. Good to really go over another great album. This one won the Grammy for Best Vocal Album of the Year. So there's a lot to talk about. Looking forward to going over this. And I'm a big Samara Joy fan. Yeah, so as Max alluded to, we are going over the Grammy award-winning album by Samara Joy, Linger a While. Super excited to get into this one today. Um, We kind of talked about it a little bit last week in our Grammy episode when we did like our Grammy predictions and and previews. So we're going to get really, really deep into this one today. But before we get into it, um, instead of doing like a listener question or a jazz question of the week, we're just going to do a short recap since we previewed and predicted what was going to happen at the Grammys. We're going to do a short recap of the Grammys and what happened at the Grammys. So I would just like to say that, first of all, I think our predictions were pretty spot on. I think that, you know, we kind of had an idea of what we thought were the best and what actually won. You know, we ended up picking pretty much all of the ones, the winners in the categories we did, um, except for the the best improvised solo. And Max kind of predicted what was going to happen there anyways. So I thought that was, yeah, it was super cool. So Max, why don't you tell us about what happened with uh, with best improvised solo? Well, I called it. I knew they would go with Leo Genovese and Wayne Shorter because it's Wayne Shorter. I mean, and, you know, if we're going to, I think that album was picked in that category for that reason. And and they picked a Wayne Shorter solo because it's one of kind of his final, not final live performances, but mostly at least recorded in recent history, one of his last live uh, performances recorded in an in a record setting on an album like that and i i think you and i were are mostly right that the ambrose akinmusire or akinmusery solo on rounds from terry lynn carrington's new standards volume one is a is a more complete and dynamic solo there's more in there i think but you know they're gonna go with kind of what overall is more impactful and unfortunately because it's Wayne Shorter it's a little more impactful yeah and I I do like that solo the Wayne Shorter solo I'm not like super mad that it won it's not you know like it's it's definitely a good solo but yeah I do agree that I thought the Ambrose Akimusery solo was was the better solo collectively but you know I can understand why they they did what they did and why they voted the the way they did with Wayne's legacy and everything. So yeah, I definitely I agree there, Max. And I'm glad that you know uh, the other solos in that category were <laughs> were not up to par with those. I mean, yep. really glad Gerald Albright. Unfortunately, you know I I've just I've just heard him better, and so that little solo that was that was picked in that category, I'm glad that didn't win. A um, couple of the other ones, you know, the John Beasley transition solo on Coco from going from Cherokee into Coco was cool. But I thought, you know, the saxophone playing on that very same track was better, um, in my opinion. So, you know, I, I just think with the options given, it was going to be between Leo and Wayne and Ambrose. And they went with Leo and Wayne because it's Wayne Shorter. And I, I don't know. I don't I we, we touched on it last episode when we went over these picks and I just don't know if that live at the Detroit album is, is that complete of an album and that album in and of itself was also nominated for the best instrumental jazz album, which I'm glad there it didn't win 
um, because that one, the most obvious choice did win. And that was Terry Lynn Carrington's new standards volume one. And I, that was the, you know, the most complete out of the set. I completely agree there. I, that's what I was actually thinking is like, I'm, I'm okay with it winning best improvised solo, but I think that Terry Lynn Carrington rightfully so won the best jazz instrumental album. So I, yeah, I can, I'm glad that not that the album's bad, the the live at the Detroit Jazz Festival's bad, but I think that it's obvious that Terry Lynn Carrington's album was better. And I have a little bit of a, a Wayne Shorter uh, story for me this week. I don't know if I told you, Max. I almost spent $150 on a Wayne Shorter uh, record. It's not even my favorite oh, record, God. but it was it's an it was the All Seeing Eye, which is not my favorite Wayne Shorter recording, but. It was an original Blue Note pressing, and I I almost did it because it was in really good shape. And it's like hard not to add the original Blue Notes, you know, to the to collection when you see them. I mean, even though one hundred and fifty dollars seems like how's that a good price, but when they're you know the value is certainly higher than that, you know, resale, it's hard not to not to do those things. But I I, I couldn't get myself to do it. If it was an album that I liked more, if it were you know something that I you know, really dug like a Dexter Gordon or something like that. Not that I don't like Wayne Shorter, then I probably would have pulled the trigger, but I couldn't get myself to to do it for $150 on that one. Yeah, I don't blame you. That's a big chunk of change to throw on one record. Um, but people do it all the time, and I've seen some of those original pressings sell for 200 or $300 in a physical record store. So um, $150 is not that uncalled for for an album like that unfortunately yeah and this one it the yeah it was in good shape and i saw one sold online that was uh, apparently in really great shape almost in like original condition sold for nine hundred dollars of the same record so it, yeah it's kind there of, you go kind of crazy how much some of these more rare releases and original blue note presses can go for but yeah just a a quick wayne shorter story from my week is that i almost was a uh, hundred and fifty dollars down in in my bank account because of uh, an album i saw at the record store now, would you have paid $150 for the Live at the Detroit album? No, 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 no. <laughs> there no, you no. go. What am I saying? Um, um, <laughs> proof right there. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, interesting story there. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on to the next category that was up, which was the best vocal. And I think we know who won that one, right, Max? Yeah, that is this one. Samara Joy's Linger a While. And, and it, to me, it was between her and Cicely McLaurin Savant. And I think, you know, they, they, they went with the right call. It's Samara Joy. She's just making too big of a splash. She's a new sensation. She's been on the Today Show, Gordon, Good Morning America. You know, she's, she's been on the circuit um, the past five or six months, just not only promoting the album, but just being seen in, in a much more um, pleasing way as a jazz performer than you would normally expect. I mean, it's a little rare to see a jazz artist that's that's out in the forefront as much as she has been lately. Yeah, and I think it's evidenced by her winning Best New Artist. I mean, how... I mean, I think... I don't know if I... Did I say it on the podcast? I might have said it on air on the podcast you, that she yeah, was not going to win. You said she was not going to win. Because and, I didn't think there's any... When was the last <laughs> time a jazz musician won that award? It's just... At, Esperanza Spalding, which okay. was what, 10 or 12 years ago? Yeah. Something like it's that. It's almost exclusively for like pop or like R&B or, you know, like mainstream music, you know, which exactly. jazz is not anymore. So I in the I looked at the odds, you know, like Vegas makes odds and she her odds were not great. Like, so 
man, Max, you should have put some some money on that. You know, that might have you could have uh, made a little money on betting on Samara <laughs> there. That would have been crazy. Don't give me any ideas. Don't yeah. let me blow money. But, but I, um, yeah, I just want on the record say that Max, I was I. Yeah, that was a bad call on my part. I didn't think she had a shot to win, but apparently she very much did. And I, it's awesome to see a jazz artist winning best new artist. Yeah, I thought she might win, and and I knew you know she would likely win the best vocal album for yeah. sure. And I thought maybe you know best new artist just because again she's been seen by a lot more eyes than a normal beginning you know blossoming jazz artist would. So with all that to say. I think that is showcased well on this album from from Samara. It's called Linger a While, which is the name of one of the tunes on the album. And and there's a lot to discuss. What do you think, Dwayne? Should we get into it? Yeah, well, let's quickly go over best instrumental before just briefly. I think we kind of mentioned it, but we'll kind of get into um, best instrumental just to echo what we said uh Terry Lynn Carrington's new volume standards or new standards volume one um won the Grammy for best instrumental Max and I both picked that one and we said that that one was clearly the most deserving album um so yeah it's it's good to see that one get the recognition it deserves uh maybe we need a more strong pool of albums this year hopefully we'll get some some really good releases this year to to get to pick from but yeah that was that was uh what we predicted and what we thought was was right so good to see that one that one come through there but yeah let's get into to the album max and one thing before we start the album is the pronunciation of um or of samara or samara's name i i was curious because most people i hear say samara joy but then i watched a video of like a short clip of her talking about the album and she introduced herself as samara joy so i don't know you know i don't think that either one's necessarily wrong but um she did call herself samara joy so well maybe we'll we'll stick to samara i i've heard it said both ways i mean she was doing a radio interview and uh, mark ruffin you know, in her presence was referring to her as Samara. Yeah. And then, and then when she won, I think best new artist, the Grammy, she was introduced as Samara. Yeah. So I, I, w- I'm cool with either. I think maybe if, if you saw her refer to herself as Samara, that's what we should go. With. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I was, yeah, she very clearly called herself Samara and not Samara. So I think, yeah, we should say her name in the way that she says her own name will probably be make this most sense but yeah cool let's get into it and let's let's start with just a kind of a short history of like this album and what the record label it is on and then we'll get into the personnel max why don't you tell us about kind of where this album comes from and why it's significant well number one it's on verve records <clears throat> if you don't know verve is is one of the quintessential jazz labels um as a record company it was originally founded by the great norm grants norman grants very prolific in bringing this music to the public um, over the years it's changed ownership it's now under the the big owner of universal music group and verve is also home in and of itself to the single largest jazz catalog on record so that's coming from their own jazz recordings over the years under the Verve label. And over time, they've acquired other collections under other labels um, that have, you know, that they bought and, and are now under their label name as Verve. So um, that goes for a lot of different album uh, labels. But all in all, Verve in and of itself is the largest jazz catalog we have. And so that's kind of neat to see 
them come out to the forefront. It's like every five or 10 or 15 years, Verve Records is kind of showing their face from behind the bush and saying, hey, we're still here. We're still relevant. We're still making records. We still matter. And hey, watch out for us. And so they invest in certain artists every now and then. And they're, they're doing that here with Samara Joy. And it's great to see. And so this record originally released on September 16th, 2022. So very recent, like we just said, um, it snuck in and and won the Grammy for Best Vocal Album. Uh, and she did win Best New Artist. And this is ultimately her second album. Her first release was, was under a different label. Um, but this one is her, her Verve debut. And this is really her, her big first album that we think of. Um, and on this record, she's singing an eclectic mix of standards alongside great, alongside great veteran musicians, including a couple of people that were her previous music professors in college. So a great collaborative effort that features Samara Joy and all that she can do. Yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, some of the musicians, I mean, all not some, all of the musicians on this recording are killer. We get Kenny Washington on drums and most people who are in the know in jazz know what who Kenny Washington is, what he's capable of. So, Max, let's get into kind of the musicians and talk a little bit about their their history. Max, why don't you tell us about um, Samara Joy? Yeah, Samara, full name is Samara Joy McClendon, born in 1999 to a musical family. Her 1999. Yeah, she's only 23 years old. I mean, ni- I remember 1999 vividly, so... <laughs> <laughs> I was five, yeah. but still, that's it's yeah. yeah, it's crazy how young she is. I know, and she is killing it. And I think part of her success is because of how many influences were around her that, um, uh, you know, contributed to her musicality. Mm-hmm. So her family was very musical, is very musical, I, su- I should say. Her grandparents and her dad specifically are big in the gospel music scene. Her grandparents founded the group The Savettes which um, were a Philly-based gospel group. She was surrounded by a variety of music constantly. She really got in touch with the world of jazz when she enrolled at Purchase College in New York. It's a state university in New York where she studied with the greats John Faddis and Kenny Washington. John Faddis, one of the ultimate trumpet players, especially if we think high notes and big band and big sound and big trumpet galore, that's John Faddis, and he's... Uh, uh, he's a great, you know, educator as well. And Kenny Washington, the drummer on this record, was also a professor of hers. And I think it's pretty evident she's heavily influenced by the likes of Sarah Vaughn and Ella Fitzgerald. She also won the Sarah Vaughn Vocal Competition in 2019. She since performed quite a bit, being featured on television, growing a significant following on social media apps, including TikTok. So she is a TikToker. We got to get with the times, Dwayne. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, I don't even have TikTok. I can't lie. I like have downloaded before, but I just can't get into it. I know. I'm not really into it either. Um, but, but she's killing it everywhere and anywhere. She's now again the winner of the 2023 Grammy Award for Best Jazz Vocal Album and the Best New Artist. So she must demand your. I mean, she does demand our attention. I mean, she's she's captivating in what she's doing, and this album is is a great uh, jump shoot to a to a seemingly awesome career. She's also paired with a lot of great musicians, like you were getting at, including the guitar player on this album. I think Pasquale Grasso. 
Pasquale Grasso? Pasquale, yeah. Pasquale uh, is an Italian guy born to a family that loved music. He picked up the guitar at a young age around the same time his brother picked up the saxophone. And Pasquale practiced constantly before meeting the great Barry Harris at a master class in Switzerland. And I think Samara Joy also was around Barry Harris a little bit and, and learned from him, too. Mm. Um, so Barry Harris, one of the great mentors of this music. Um, and Pasquale was mentored by Barry before moving to New York and playing with many cats, ranging from Frank West to Ray Drummond. And he continues to perform extensively, praised by guitarists like Pat Metheny for his style and approach. And the interesting thing about Pasquale is he's not really in the mode of Pat Metheny and um, John Schofield. He's more following Bud Powell and Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, uh, maybe guitarists like uh, Herb Ellis or yeah. Joe Pass. Um, you know, that maybe West Montgomery, that sort of lineage. And and Pat Metheny gave him praise when he heard him and, and knew of him because of that, because he's doing his own thing, is influenced by the bop and the swing, not necessarily what came after it. And so that's a great thing about Pasquale. Um, and then on piano, we get Ben Patterson, who's an organist, piano player, composer, born in Philadelphia in 1982. He studied classical music and jazz before uh, enrolling at the University of Chicago. He performed throughout the Chicago area, and he was Von Freeman's pianist um, before moving to New York and performing there. He won the Ellis Marsalis Piano Competition in 2018, and in 2019, he became one of the few jazz musicians to be a designated Steinway artist. So Ben Patterson has gotten a lot of praise and we see why on this record. There's also a great bass player named David Wong here, born and raised in New York. He went to Juilliard, also studied with John Clayton and Ron Carter. He's performed all over the world and he's recorded with the likes of Benny Green, Wynton Marsalis, David Hazeltine, Marcus Printup, and so many more. And then we get the drum legend, Kenny Washington, um, one of the greats of this music. He was playing with Johnny Griffin when he was only like 16, 17, 18 years old. I mean, come on. What can you do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You don't get better than that. So so we refer to him as a drum legend. He was born in Staten Island in New York in 1958. He studied drums with Dizzy Gillespie's drummer. Rudy Collins, and he gigged while still a teenager, as I was getting at earlier. He played with anyone and everyone, including Lee Konitz, Griff, Clark Terry, Kenny Burrell, Ronnie Matthews, Stitt, Phil Woods, Ahmad Jamal, the list goes on. He now serves on the faculty at the Sunny Purchase College and as well as Juilliard, and he is one of my favorite living drummers, and he's still got a lot of life in him. He's only in his 60s, uh, early to mid-60s, I believe. So, we're going to continue to see a lot of Kenny Washington. He's often featured in a rhythm section with Peter Washington, but people are mistaken. They are not related. <laughs> Kenny and Peter are not related, but they play like they are. They play <laughs> like they're brothers. Um, so that's just a side note. But uh, Kenny Washington's brother does play bass. His name is Reggie Washington, not Peter Washington. So got to keep your Washingtons together. Yeah, um, <laughs> all the Washingtons. <laughs> all the Washingtons. <laughs> Man, but yeah, it what a great cast. I mean, Kenny Washington on drums, I mean, just caps off such a fantastic rhythm section and we'll definitely get in. It's 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 crazy cuz we're going to talk a lot about Samara because she's the the driving force, but 
There's so much that they provide that's really cool, and we'll get into some of that as well on the album. But Max, why don't we go ahead and, and get into the the album itself? Well, we start out with a, a, a tune that's kind of well known, but it's it's not as you know as um, immediately recognizable as some other tunes we'll get into later on in the album. And so this first one is "Can't Get Out of This Mood." Dwayne, what were you thinking about this one? Yeah, and it might not have been as well known before, but I Samara Joy is is on the the track to change that because I mean this <laughs> song is blown up a little bit, um, and she this song's kind of been all over around the Grammys and stuff, and it's it's just an incredible track, and the way that she performs it is awesome. It's very very unique to her. Um, it's a song from 1942 from. Two guys we've talked about before. Frank Losser wrote the lyrics and Jimmy McHugh wrote the the actual song itself. So we've talked about both of those guys. If you want to know more about them, go back to previous episodes. We've talked about them extensively. So just guys who are composers in the, the Great American Songbook. And this comes from that. It comes from it, um, an actually uh, a radio picture film entitled Seven Days Leave, which Lucille Ball actually starred in. So interesting wow. thing there. It was written for for that for that um for that film. So that's where we get this song. It's not super popular among standards, which is cool to see her do that. But it has been performed by some different singers, notably Sarah Vaughn. Which this is kind of the thing that stands out to me on this track is it starts out with just the rhythm section for a little bit, but then we get into to the the melody and Samara Joy's singing. Just There's so much Sarah Vaughn influence. I think it has to be her greatest influence mostly, but she's very well-versed. But I just want us to listen to a couple bars of them each singing this same song just so we can get a feel of that influence and and you know, where Samara is coming from when she's forming her sound. So let's listen to, let's listen to Samara first and then we'll listen to Sarah Vaughn. How's that sound, Max? Sounds good. Yeah. There, there's an obvious influence of Sarah on Samara. <laughs> yeah. Sarah on Samara, if you would, if you could think of uh, such alliteration. Um, so, yeah. So I think that's a great thing to do. Yeah. Check them out. There's definitely similarities to keep track of. Cool. All right, let's get into this clip here. So this is Samara Joy on Can't Get Out of This Mood. Can't get out of this mood Can't get over this feeling Just can't get out of this mood Last night your lips were too appealing And the thrill should have been all gone by today yeah. All right. So now let's listen to Sarah Vaughn singing the exact same song and part of the melody. Can't get out of this mood. Can't get over this feeling. Can't get out of this mood. Last night your lips were too appealing. The thrill should have been all gone by today in the usual way. Yeah. Yeah, the vibrato is similar. Um, not the same, but very similar. Yep. I think Sarah may be just, just pushing and pulling the beat a little bit harder. Yep. Um, but but the, the range is similar too, and, and where Sarah goes deeper in her voice, Samara does also. 
And that's something to keep track of as you listen to this album. Yeah, I'd say that their inflection is definitely similar and that she draws from that Sarah Vaughn influence with her inflection a lot. Yeah, Sarah Vaughn's using definitely a little more vibrato there. And like Max said, you know, playing with the melody a little bit differently. But there's just an obvious influence there when we listen to Samara singing the same song. Um, and I, I'd have to imagine she's heard that Sarah Vaughn version a, a million times. So, Oh, I, I think that's why it's on this album. Yeah. You know, and, and the other tune on here, Linger a While, that the title track, you know, that's where the title of the album comes from, is from the track Linger a While. That's also kind of more Sarah Vaughn specific. So that is obvious to me. I also really dig the way this melody is arranged on this version by Samara, where you get the two bar breaks during the head. Um, really cool stuff. And if you don't know, it's a 32 bar total form with two 16 bar sections, AA prime. So just to keep track of the form and the uh, arrangement of the tune, just some key things going on here. Yeah, you got to keep track of the form, Max. Max won't. Uh, I don't know if we've told that story on the <laughs> podcast, have we? I don't think so. You can you can mention it if you want to. Oh man, Max was probably dreading this day. Um, just a fun, quick story, and why I say you got to keep track of the form, and why Max is uh. But so one time, this is pretty early on in us playing. We're still in high school, probably. Like we're Max is definitely knows more about jazz than I do, and our bass player Will Archer, who's a really good friend of ours, and um. <laughs> So we're playing the tune, It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing. I'll keep this short. And Will and I, we keep, instead. it's A-A-B-A, like the most common jazz form, and we're young jazz musicians. Will and I are young rhythm section players. We're not that good at what we do yet. And so we're playing through the song, and instead of A-A-B-A, Will and I are just going A-A-B and skipping the last A like multiple times. Like at random points, there will just be no last A. So we're just kind of just messing the form up in all honesty. And Max has been my best friend since the sixth grade. And I've never seen Max get as frustrated with me and will as when we kept doing that on the floor, Max stopped the rehearsal. He said, stop, stop. He said, you're disrespecting <laughs> the music. This has to stop. And Will and I are just like eyes wide open. Like, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> and uh, so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I'll never forget. And Max, I think Max still feels bad about it to this day, even though at this point it's just a funny story. Um, but it's actually, I've, Max and I have talked about this. He's kind of traumatized me into like, really focusing on the form like I don't mess the form up anymore like it doesn't really happen like we played a gig recently and I think Max accidentally went to the bridge too soon and Max was like I don't know and I was like I know I didn't go to the bridge too soon Max I know I didn't do it so it was was really funny uh just a funny story so Max and and the form when I say Max is uh you know talking about the form that's that's where that comes from so just a fun (laughs) little story from our past I scared you into keeping the form. You did. You um, did. As a yeah, good as a good teacher would do. I guess so. I mean, I, I went a little too hard on that. You know, I said you're disrespecting the music. How dare you? You know, this is um this is not right. And and I, I went on a little tangent, as one can imagine I would do. We've heard it on the podcast. Max Max went yeah. on one of his, his little rants. We got the point and we fixed it. Yep, and now look at you. Mm-hmm. You're not missing the form. Yep. What do you know? Wow, there we go. But yeah, so yeah, like Max said, it's a 32-bar form, two 16-bar sections, A and A prime. Um, and it's just, yeah, I love the dynamics here from Samara on the head and just her 
her vibrato and how she really builds it into her lines. We listened to that that section there, and Sarah's Vaughn is really giving us a lot of that vibrato, like it all points up front, you know. And with Samara, she's kind of building it into her lines and kind of she'll start the end of a phrase with kind of a straighter tone and then build in some vibrato towards the end. And I just love how she's kind of reserving that vibrato and like choosing when to give it to us and when to draw it out a little bit more. I think that's really awesome. And then they dig a little bit deeper into the swing feel in the second time through the head and how the, you know, throughout the song going on. And I just, I love how that album, they kind of do that a lot where they kind of, they really dig into the, the feel a lot and, and that's that's something these musicians are just so good and they swing so hard. So, you know, that's they probably can't help but to do that. And then the piano solo here from Ben Patterson is it's not super, super long, but it's super swinging. And I think that's one thing that's really cool about the features on this album is there aren't any super long instrumental solos. We get some longer ones in later tracks, but it's obvious here that we're, we're all about um, we're all about featuring Samara here. So, you know. You can get your piano solo, but it's not. It's a Samara. It's a Samara Joy album. It's not a Ben Patterson album. So, and another thing about this album, the endings are great. Great ending here as well. This opening track is just really nice. Max, did you have anything anything to add about about this song, which has become kind of like the one of the songs from the album that people are listening to and has become popular? Yeah, it's one of the most notable tracks from the album, and it's catchy. Um, mm-hmm. She adds a lot of energy, you know, as the song progresses. So you are getting at the fact that the the swing feel becomes more prominent as the song continues and you feel it harder as it develops. And I think that's a great aspect if you're playing straight ahead in the right way. You know, that is going to the swing is going to evolve as you go. And you you notice that because at the end of the track, they you can tell that they've sped up just a little bit. It's not, it's not an insane amount, but they do speed up a little bit. And usually if the swing is cool and, and there's energy and you're grooving and there's movement and, and direction that's going to happen. And so we get that here and the energy is just ecstatic. You know, I'm just, I'm just enthralled with, with how this record starts. It starts in a great way. Yeah. With a bang, honestly. And this, yeah, Max, the, keyword that you said there is catchy i can't i find myself just walking around singing like they can't get out of this like mood line in this song it's so catchy she does it so well in a way that's so catchy it's awesome and i think that's one of the reasons she's so approachable is that's you know people like music that they can sing some music that kind of appeals to them is and is catchy so it's it's great from samara here a, a fantastic opening track Yeah, it's a catchy tune, and it develops well, and it ends well, like you said. And then we get the second track on the album called Guess Who I Saw Today. Now, this is a popular jazz tune. We've mentioned it once or twice on the podcast in just conversations about great jazz vocalists and and great tunes. Um, We talked about it on the Nancy Wilson Cannonball Adderley episode because it is one of the tunes that's associated really heavily with the great Nancy Wilson it's a popular jazz tune written by Murray Grand with lyrics by Elise Boyd, written in 1952 for Leonard Silman's musical review called New Faces of 1952. Um, if you don't know, there was a series of Broadway shows called New Faces that combined comedy skits and great musical numbers by current up-and-coming stars at the time of their uh, their 
you know, their existence. And this one, New Faces of 1952, was one of the most successful, featuring Eartha Kitt and Paul Lind. And Murray Grand himself um, helped produce these, you know, these New Faces musical reviews. They didn't happen every year, but they would feature up-and-comers that were, that were really great and had a lot of potential. And this one um, was very successful. And it included this song, Guess Who I Saw Today. Um, Murray Grant himself being a singer, songwriter, piano player, and lyricist from Philly, took a piano and entertained the soldiers in World War II, studied at Juilliard before writing on Broadway. And he was also a performer all his life. And he also, interesting to note, that he eventually developed a pet food business. And so he, he was working <laughs> as, a, as a pet food guy by day and a performer at night. So that's Murray Grand, the writer of Guess Who I Saw Today. Um, and as I mentioned, this is one of the tunes that's kind of well-known with Nancy Wilson, but Carmen McRae was also the first great jazz vocalist to record it in 1957 on her album called Afterglow, which um, features Ronnell Bright, a piano player who composes another song on this album we're going to get to in a little bit. And this version by Samira at times reminds me a little bit more of Carmen McRae's version than Nancy Wilson's version, especially how she ends it. It's kind of similar to the way Carmen McRae did it. Um, the form, as we were getting, you know, form is very essential to understanding what's going on in jazz music, as Dwayne <laughs> has learned. Has learned over the years. Um, and if we talk about the form of this tune, it starts out with a verse and that verse is usually played rubato and then there's an a b a section with a 14 bar a an eight bar bridge and a 10 bar a prime and it's typically just one time through that you play it you play just the whole form one time through and so we get that open rubato section here from samara it begins with a piano introduction and the first part of the melody is performed kind of at a at a brisker rubato pace. I think Nancy Wilson's version is a little slower and Carmen's is a little faster and Samira is somewhere in between. So I kind of dig that and I kind of dig her tempo in that opening rubato section. Um, and it's just vocal and piano during that first verse. And then they're in time at 107 as the guitar and the rest of the rhythm section enter in and then it's in time. Um, on the ABA uh, section of the of the form. Um, and there's nice brushwork going on from the drums from Kenny Washington. I love the brushes here. And the fills from the piano and the, the guitar are quite um, just captivating. They fit right in with Samara, and they don't take away attention from her, but they fill in the spaces in between the vocal phrases very nicely. Samara's tone and her dynamic control, as well as her emotional inflections, are well on display here. It's almost in overdrive. We're getting so much from Samara Joy every moment of this track. Um, I think every point of the start of her vibrato in particular is very purposeful and intentional, and her dynamics are constantly in motion. I want us to listen to a little bit of that together taking place alongside some of those nice, tasteful licks provided by the guitarist Pasquale um, on Guess Who I Saw Today here. I looked around for some place new Then it occurred to me Where I 
the There was a most attractive French cafe and bar. Yeah. So within that, you hear those tasteful licks that, that fill in those spaces and just the amount of direction in Samira's voice. Um, and a lot of times her vocal touch is sensitive, yet it's meaningful and impactful. And the vocal agility and control exceeds my expectations. And at moments, it just gives me chills. Yeah, I, I completely agree with, with what you're saying there. I feel like there's such an emotional connection to the song and to the lyrics. And that's like something that takes a certain level of artistry and musicianship and just the feeling. You know, she's obviously put herself into the feeling and the, you know, connected with this song. And I think that it, it comes through in her vocals in this kind of like uh, her portrayal of, of the song and its lyrics for sure. Yeah, exactly. I'm also constantly impressed at how much control and ability she expresses in her lower vocal range. We were getting at that earlier, you know, kind of reminds me of Sarah Vaughn, but I want us to listen to an, an example of that together where just pay attention to how she moves in the deeper parts of her voice so effortless, effortlessly. Dang, that's hard to say. Oh, <laughs> um, you know, with with without much um, effort and there's nothing getting in her way. It's just very fluid. Everything she's doing in that lower part of her range. That even I could spot it clear across the room. Yeah. yeah. And, and she holds that out that note out longer than you would expect too. I mean, it's just that everything is purposeful and, and has, has meaning behind it. Um, and it's just well played, well performed. Also, I think the way that they end this one is another moment that gives me chills. I want us to listen to that ending together. Listen to Samara's ability to reach down the depths of her low end. And then she goes straight to a higher note and listen to how well she controls the release of each phrase do i saw today guess who i saw today guess who i saw today There's the vibrato. That's what I was talking about earlier. She, right. She doesn't give us the vibrato all at, all at the beginning. She makes us she makes us long for it, wait for it, and then she just, <laughs> mm, yeah, it's so nice. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for it to hit because I know it's coming. Yeah. Yeah, that's the great thing about vibrato is, you know, if if you do it well, it's gonna be in your in your bag of tricks. It's gonna be in your style. Um, but the way she uses it and the way she controls it and, and she just starts to do it at, at a perfect moment, um, it's captivating every yep. time it happens. Yep. I, I completely agree with that, Max. 
I think in general, this track, Guess Who I Saw Today, is divine. It's no wonder that this is one of the most listened to tracks on the record, according to the Spotify numbers. It's a great new version of this timeless tune. I think everyone can relate in some way to what goes on in the lyrics of the story of this song. It's timeless, you know, all about um, a person catching their significant other out and about during the day with another, in this case, woman. But, you know, just just you, you find them out cheating on you with somebody else and then you're confronting them when they get home and you're saying, guess who I saw today? I found you. I saw you. And what do you have to say for yourself? It, it will always be relevant in a, in, a, in a story that that just captivates the heart. And, and, and that's, you know, not only is jazz about love, but it's also sometimes about heartbreak. And I think this tune in particular is exemplifying that in its story yeah i think those are all great points i want to touch on a couple things that you kind of already pointed out and just how her lower range it's just so sultry and to me it feels like i'm wrapped in a nice warm blanket that's the feeling that i get when she goes down into that part of her voice it's so nice it's so sultry it's yeah it's it's really really something and she just this is just such an incredible heartfelt rendition of this track. It just feels like it's coming straight from her from her heart. Like I said, so emotionally connected. And like Max has mentioned, her vocal prowess and her ability is just, it's incredible. It's on display. This track has so much to offer. I think it's just one of the, in my opinion, one of the renditions of this track now. I mean, you can put it yeah. in there with Carmen McRae and, and Nancy Wilson. It's It's that good. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's now one of the versions you have to know. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely definitely worth checking out. Um, even if you're not gonna listen to the whole album, listen to this track. But let's let's move on from from this one and get into the third track on the album, a track entitled uh Nostalgia. And this is a Fats Navarro written bop tune. Fats is a um a trumpet player, so this comes from the, the Bop era. And basically what Samara did was she wrote words and lyrics for it. And one thing that's interesting that we'll get into is that she actually does what's called a, a vocalese or like a vocalization of the trumpet solo during this track, which is really cool. We're going to listen to a little bit, kind of like we do with Sarah Vaughn. We're going to listen to snippets of the trumpet solo and of, of her doing it, because I think it's really cool to hear how she she emulates uh, Fats Navarro. And I think that it just really shows this track, especially shows her flexibility and her vocal agility, especially in those sections when she's singing a trumpet solo. I mean, it's not like something that's super natural for the voice to do or a singer to do. And it's not something that most pop singers or, you know, singers in different genres could do, but she is able to do it because she's so technical. She's so well-versed and her agility and flexibility over that part of the solo is just incredible. That trumpet vocally solo is incredible. So let's let's listen to that. Let's listen to the Fats Navarro version first this time, um, and then we'll get into Samara Joy's same part of this that section. So here we go. <laughs> Yeah.
yeah all right so that's that's fats navarro i mean if you don't know who fats navarro is you need to know but so that's him playing on nostalgia that his part of that that solo and let's listen to um samara joy so singing that you know a transcription of that solo, but adding words to it here like max said a vocalese i figured after all this time and all these years together all the memories made that you would be tired by now it should have grown dull or stagnant But with each passing day There's never a moment I regret saying Hello, miss How you doing? I would like to know you Oh, and here you we go You me off immediately Gave me the coldest shoulder I've ever received Which made me want to get to know you even more That's when I ran into you at the bookstore The bookstore Gosh, oh my gosh <laughs> How killing she- is, is that? she can sing the bop you know that's that's kind of hard to do um that's really hard to do yeah it is really hard to do and you're right it's a jazz sort of specific practice um that greats like john hendrix um kurt elling has done it uh eddie jefferson oscar brown jr uh annie ross uh just you know just there's there's a there's a history of vocalies occurring um and in some ways, it, it it defines sort of what jazz vocals is, and it defines, which I'll get into later a bit, what sort of the, the idea is with jazz vocals. And that idea is that a lot of times vocalists want to emulate or imitate horn players, saxophones, trumpets, trombones, and a lot of times horn players want to imitate or emulate vocalists. And there's this sort of back and forth uh, cross section that occurs in a lot of jazz music where there are moments of that happening and you can hear it for yourself. And there she's trying to imitate, you know, what a horn player would play in an improvisational setting on a bebop tune. Uh, and she provided lyrics to that melody, which is something else that occurs in the history of jazz vocals um, from those cats. I mentioned John Hendricks and the list goes on. But it, it's just it's just a moment where you understand Samira's ability, her effort, her amount of study that she's done. She's well studied. And I'll continue to say that as we get into it. But, you know, it, it takes a lot of of guts, a lot of focus, a lot of interpretation to pull that off. And she does it and she does it well. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that that. It just shows such incredible reverence for the history and the tradition of the music to be able to, to you know, quote one of or transcribe one of these fundamental players of the bop era of, you know, eras long before she was even thought about. She was born in 1999. I want to repeat mm-hmm. that. And she's she's singing Fats Navarro solos from the 1950s or yeah, I think 1950s. That's when that was. 40s. Yeah. 40s, maybe early 50s. Yeah. So it's it's incredible i think that it showcases her her reverence for for the the tradition of jazz as a as a whole yeah exactly there there's a respect there she understands she's transcribed she knows inflection and she knows jazz language and that's great um and then i want to mention one other great thing about this track which is the way uh pasquale grasso the guitar player fills in the space in between the vocal lines. I think his, his fills are absolutely dynamite. So there's a couple instances of that I'd like to listen to, too. The way 
you smiled was a work of art You wouldn't believe how it thrilled me We used to talk on the phone till three It made my mother so angry And when we shared our first Yeah you know, you hear that? It's just, it, it moves everything that's going on, and it's not getting in the way. It's going along with Samara and the melody. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think Pasquale, whenever, you know, he's not on the entire album, but the, track, the tracks that he's on, he does a lot to add to, and he's just very evidently musical, and Max does a great job of, of showing it, it there on, on this track. All right. Anything else on that, or should we go on? I think yeah. Let's let's move on. I just that's yeah, so cool to get that that vocalese over the Fats Navarro solos. Well, let's move on to the the fourth track. And that won't be the last time we see it on this very album. Yep. So more to come on the vocalese. This fourth track we get is called "Sweet Pumpkin." It's a tune written by pianist and composer Ronnell Bright, who I mentioned earlier. Um, he was on the Carmen McRae album "After Glow," where she did. Uh, I think guess who I saw today. But uh, a little bit about Ronnell himself. He played piano at an early age, studied also at Juilliard. He backed up the likes of Carmen, as well as Dizzy Gillespie and Sarah Vaughn and more before becoming Nancy Wilson's arranger. So there's a lot of uh, connections here we're seeing. We're seeing these names over and over again in association with the music Samara picks and with Samara's influences. Um and so Ronnell Bright, I believe he had his doctorate, Dr. Ronnell Bright, if I'm not mistaken. He also worked as a studio musician and he also played with Super Sax. And he unfortunately uh, passed away in 2021, but he was 91 years old. So Ronnell Bright had a pretty long life, a lot of experience working with vocalists and just a, a key composer that you'll come across on tunes like this one called Sweet Pumpkin. And Sweet Pumpkin is an AABA form, 16-bar A sections with an 8-bar bridge. It's kind of similar to tunes like Without a Song, who have a similar form where it's, you know, 16-bar A sections and the bridge is only eight measures. Also, I think Alone Together is like that too. On this particular tune, the guitar intro happens to bring in the melody and everything that's going on. And I think Pasquale swings pretty hard before Samira joins in. The A sections have a two-beat feel, or a two-feel as we call it, as Samira puts in some space in between the vocal lines. And then the bridge is 4-4, four, four, you know, swung, emphasizing every beat. I love the tail end of the last A of the form that goes into a repeat of the head, where Samara or Samara doesn't necessarily solo, but she's singing more openly and freely with the melody. And I want us to listen to a moment of that. It just amps up the energy of what's going on. To be a sweet pumpkin, say that you'll be mine. Do you know something? I'm in love with you. So won't you be a sweet pumpkin, say that you love me too. And if you do, I am certain we could be one of the happiest couples in this society. And I've got a feeling that I'm just your style. Go on, admit it, and we'll walk right down that I don't. I love when she opens up a little bit. I know. Oh, it's man. It hits so hard, and I, I love that when she does it on, on this tune, and she does it a couple other times, too. 
Yeah, for it, sure. And it's yeah, every time she does it, I'm like, man, she's really got some some more to give, doesn't she? It's like if, if we weren't <laughs> right. getting enough, like we're getting more, you know. Oh man. Yeah, it brings energy, movement, dynamics, the whole shebang. We also get a nice guitar solo on this track. Um, it's over the first two A sections. There's lots of great single lines. It's steeped in bebop and the tradition. There's longer phrases he uses with little stopping in between. And it's always moving, very interesting to listen to. And there's also quite a bit of double time use as well at the end of his solo. And I want us to listen to a little bit of his of his solo here. <laughs> Yeah, I I know who that reminds me of. <laughs> well, I'm I'm getting a little Herb Ellis. That's 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 what I'm getting there too, Max. Yeah, Herbie Ellis, one of the great guitar players that performed with Oscar Peterson. I mean, so many more, but especially he was a member of the Oscar Peterson trio, and especially when he did that. First of all, his tone kind of reminds me of Herb Ellis, the way the guitar is is sounding. And some of the general ideas that Herb would play, you know, where you just kind of, it's not random, but you kind of just go into double time, um, uh, you, you know, not randomly, but you, you weren't leading up to it. It wasn't like a, like a planned um, journey that obviously we're going to go into double time. He just sort of does it. And I think there Pasquale just sort of does it and, it and he keeps it feeling good, even though we weren't necessarily expecting it. Yeah, and some of those triplet that triplet idea really yeah. reminded me of, of Herb Ellis or or even Joe Pass a little bit, but Herb Ellis is who who really came to mind the most there. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, and then after that, Samara comes back on the bridge. She swings us to the head out. They end it after the last A section. They extend the turnaround a few bars, end on a final chord. And I want to listen to that very end where Samara adds some licks on top. And this is another moment where I was getting at earlier, where sometimes vocalists want to imitate horn players and horn players often want to imitate vocalists. And here, to me, she's imitating what a trumpet player or a saxophone player would play on top of a final chord on the ending of a tune. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little yeah, it wasn't necessarily expected. Um, but I loved it. It's like at times it doesn't feel like she's just a vocalist. It feels like her voice is the instrument that is leading the group. Yes, which is what a great jazz vocalist does. Yep. Um Exactly. So. You'll get like Ella Fitzgerald and the ways that she would do very similar things and just her ability to use her voice as an instrument. That Samara Joy reminds me a lot of Ella sometimes in, in that sense, for sure. Absolutely. And then the fifth track, we get, of course, one of the great standards of this genre, Misty, um, originally from the great Errol Garner. And, and, and it's also a tune kind of associated with Sarah Vaughn. Um, so we get yep. that here from Samara. Yeah. Um, and, her like we said this her opening she does this like line in her opening cadenza 
And it's just like we kind of talked about that same kind of using your voice as an instrument. It's just hauntingly brilliant, that opening line that she sings. And she's just so versatile with her articulation, her dynamics, her vibrato. She's really able to give us different kinds of, you know, her vibrato is fast. Sometimes it's slower. She gives it to us at the beginning of the note and the end. She'll wait. And it's just there's so much to listen for. It's so intentional. And this song, when she sings Misty, it kind of gives me a mix of, like I just said, Ella Fitzgerald and some Sarah Vaughn here. Um, But I definitely kind of that the way that Ella Fitzgerald sings Misty, this kind of reminds me of that a little bit. And the one thing that I really want to point out here is the rhythm section is just so damn good on this track. They swing so hard. It's, it's really, it's really nice. And I, I mean, I'm kind of partial to the song Misty. I love it. I love Errol Garner. So this is just one of my favorite jazz compositions. Um, so I kind of have a soft spot for the song in general, but and she's just like we've said, she's got a little bit of a, of a lower voice and a lower, her range is great, but that's the point I want to make is she's got kind of a lower voice, but her range is just so great. She can really get up. And we talked about that section in sweet pumpkin where she kind of stretches it out a little bit and kind of goes for it a little more. And she's really getting up in her range there. And that's incredible too, as well as that, that sultry lower end of her range that I said wraps me like a warm blanket. I mean, there's just so much range in her voice so much. Her voice is so dynamic. Um, and one thing I want to point out, and this is, you know, a thing amongst jazz musicians and or jazz singers, jazz vocalists, and just really good vocalists in general, is the way that they're able to transition um, from different parts of their voice. And that's something that she does incredibly well, which is being able to transition from her chest voice, her mixed voice, which is a mix of your chest and your head voice, and her head voice, which is commonly known as your falsetto. So I want to listen to a section here where she's just seamlessly transitioning from those different parts of her voice. Would I wander through this <laughs> Effortless. I mean, listen to that. She starts in her chest voice, then she's up to mixed voice, and then she flips. I'm not a vocal coach, so I'm not like I'm not gonna claim I know a lot about you know this, but she does that. She starts in her chest voice, moves to that mixed voice, and then flips into the falsetto. That's It's so effortless, and that is not easy to do, to go from that part of your range and go from chest, mix, head voice just like that and flip it that quickly into your falsetto and then bring it back down. It's, gosh, that's so, that's so killing, and she does that so well. Do you know what it takes, Dwayne? It takes work. Yeah. She is that's when she is studied. She knows what Sarah Vaughn sounds like. She knows what Ella sounds like. She knows how those vocalists have been able to, to do what they do. And she's listened. She's transcribed. She's become entranced, ensconced in the music. Um, even though she's really, uh, her background is, a, is as a gospel singer. Um, she, you know, she, she went in head first into the world of jazz and she is taking it by the balls. If I do say <laughs> so myself, I think what she's doing is fantastic. It it's, it's a nod to what I find to be true, which is what this music is, is, you know, she's performing the best parts of jazz. 
and and the best practices of jazz in a way that is accessible that is kind of understandable but it is artistic in and of itself it's a it's otherworldly like you were getting at her abilities to go in and out of different ranges in her voice it's much harder to do than it sounds and that's that's kudos to her for making it sound like it's nothing yeah that's all super super well said it's just it's so approachable it's so listenable. It's so knowledged the way that she sings, like Max said. Yeah. And it's just so effortless. Like, and when someone makes it sound that easy, that's just something that it's like so, it's so easy to listen to. That's like why I love certain musicians. Oscar Peterson's the same way. He just makes things sound so easy. There are certain musicians to when they play things, it doesn't sound like they're trying. And there's definitely an attraction to that. And she's effortless effortless in the way she's able to do these things that are just so 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 musical i also think um this track ends really well and her last vocalization on the word me is is kind of louder than i was expecting it's it's more commanding and and i sometimes i i would think that she would I would just predict that she would end it in sort of a lower dynamic and it would sort of fade, but she does not do that here. And I find that refreshing. And also of course her vibrato gets me every time. And again, it's not the speed of the vibrato necessarily, but it's the control and the purposeful use of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I, yeah, I love that, that sentiment. It's the, the, the intentionality behind the vibrato, not just always giving us vibrato, just doing it when, you know, giving us so much intentional use of it. Yep. Anything else on that one? No, I think, I think that that wraps it up. I love, I could listen to that track all day and night. I could sleep to it. I love, (laughs) but I love, I love Misty. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Great tune, great vocals, just great music in general. We get the sixth track called social call on this album. This is a tune written by Gigi Grice. If you don't know, he was an alto saxophone player and an educator and a composer. Um, And John Hendricks, who I mentioned earlier, one of the great vocalists in the world of jazz, wrote the lyrics to this tune. So Gigi Grice wrote the music and he has an instrumental version on record. Um, And then John wrote the the lyrics to it. Um, Gigi Grice is a composer most associated with the hard bop era. He worked with greats like Horace Silver and Lionel Hampton, and he was around Charlie Parker and Monk. Um, He also wrote music for Betty Carter, Max Roach, many other people. Gigi Grice is an interesting cat. He abruptly ended ended his music career in the mid-1960s. We don't know for sure why exactly. He was kind of a private person. He was also known as a pretty straight-laced guy. He didn't do drugs, didn't drink. Um, He refused to do those sorts of things, and so he kind of kept to himself. Some say that in the mid-1960s, his music publishing business was getting too successful, and he was receiving either death threats or or threats from bigger companies um, as a way to intimidate him and his business. And so maybe he stopped doing music because of that, and we don't know exactly why, but around the 1963 i think he kind of gave up music altogether at least at a professional level and then became a public school teacher and passed away in 1983 due to a heart attack and he had some illnesses going on later in his life but Gigi grice one of the great composers of sort of post-bop music 
and a, and a pretty great alto saxophone player as well. And this is one of his most famous tunes. Another one is called Minority. And there's just a there's just a collection of great songs that Gigi Grice wrote that a lot of people cover. Um, Social Call being one of them. This is a common vocal favorite. Um, it's associated with the likes of the great Betty Carter. So I think there's some Betty Carter influence to Samara Joy as well. Kenny Washington brings us in on this track with some snare hits that lead the band in. It's in AABA form. And there's, again, a two-fill on the A sections, kind of like how she did on Sweet Pumpkin. There's a number of two-five-ones that uh, combine with chromatic harmony that define the the sort of uh, harmonic movement of this tune. There's a there's a moment where it goes F minor to E minor 7 to E flat minor 7, so that chromatic downward movement. And then there's another time where we go E flat 7 to D7 to D flat major 7. So more chromaticism within the context of the harmony of this tune, which makes it a little more interesting than you'd expect. Um, and again, she spices up the repeat of the head here, like she did in an earlier track, adding more vocal inflection and energy. And I want us to listen to that together where she adds more oomph and more chutzpah into what she's doing. Lie and say that things are just swell. But to tell the truth, I haven't been too well. If you should try to kiss me, promise that I won't stall. There's that chromatic movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she also does a chromatic line leading, uh, leading, you know, downward into the heart, into the melody notes. You know, when she's singing at the very tail end of that. You know, that is uh, superb the way she does it. Um, And it just, it just sort of brings to life the song more and more as it grows and develops um she just does a great job and some of that seems a little playful but it's intentional so she's playing around with ideas and her range and and she's just going for it and i just really dig what she does i think um the piano solo after the vocals is great to listen to too ben patterson gives us superb lines he's always swinging he lays back a bit on the beat at times making for a really feel-good solo and he mixes that sort of um push and pull of the beat with some blues playing and i want us to listen to that together it's just some great piano playing from ben patterson You good, Dwayne? Do you need CPR over there? Oh my gosh, this the whole piano solo is killing. But I just love the way he mixes in those blues stops and the deep, deep swing feel there. It's swinging so, so, so hard. I'm hitting my desk <laughs> over here. I know, right? Man, Max, this this really, really reminds me 
of one piano player, a kind of a lineage of piano players, but one piano player more than others. Max, who do you think I'm thinking of <laughs> in this situation? Well, I I can't think of just one, but uh, one that comes to mind is Ahmad Jamal. Okay. But, a, but another would be, I think you're getting at the great Oscar Peterson. Yes, and it's the blues. It's the way that he plays those blues stops that's yeah. just so Oscar Peterson. If you listen to one of those, a few of those blues kind of double stops things to where he's playing like kind of uh, – they're more like, you know, bluesy influence things that are not just linear, you know, um, they're what's known as double stops because you're playing two notes in, in, in a rhythmic fashion. It's so Oscar Peterson and a guys like Ahmad Jamal and you get, you know, even guys who came before Oscar Peterson, who Oscar was influenced by, but man, that just, yeah, some of that blues playing really, really reminded me of, of, of Oscar there. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, in addition to a great piano solo, we get a great guitar solo next in the track. There's a heavy bop influence, use of double timelines, cool octave jumps too, and again, more reminiscent ideas of Herb Ellis. Um, and then Samara back is singing back on the bridge, similar arrangement to Sweet Pumpkin. They end with uh, repeating the last four bars just once. Usually when you do that, you would do it... Um, uh, three times in total. So here they only do it twice and they end on a final chord and it's not drawn out. Um, so a little different ending, but, but definitely respected, uh, you know, definitely a respectful way to end the tune. And it's kind of cool. They only repeat it once. Yeah. I, I like, I think Max is not going to have a problem with really any of the endings on this album. So that's a, that's always a plus when we get that from, from Max, we don't, you know, like <laughs> when we can, you know, have some well thought out endings that, that that really appeals to Max. I'll go ahead and, and put it on the record. I have not heard a fade out once on this album, and I'm super pleased. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a yeah, it's a really cool track. I love how they they swing pretty hard on this one for sure. That piano solo, man, really stands out to me. We got to give the rhythm section some some kudos where it's due, and for sure the piano solo and the the guitar solo as well from Pasquale just really really swing in there. So, really cool track. Um but let's move on to the the next track on the album, which is a little bit different. Um, it's entitled I'm Confessing and in parentheses that I love you. Um, and the song was actually first produced with different lyrics as a different song titled. And it was entitled Looking for Another Sweetie was the original song title. And it was credited to Chris Smith and Sterling Grant and was recorded by Fats Waller um, in 1929. And then in 1930, it was reborn as Confessin' with new lyrics by Al Nieberg um, and with... The music at the time credited to Doc Daughtry and Ellis Reynolds. And so kind of uh, it came out and then was reborn with some different lyrics. But then Louis Armstrong, who we've talked about on the podcast. Wow, Max said podcast is hard to say and I just messed it up. You're proving my point. I said it wasn't. I I said it wasn't hard to say that I just keep proving Max right. Um, Louis Armstrong 
made his first and highly influential recording of the song in August of 1930, and he continued to play the song throughout his career. So there's just a legacy with this tune going way back. So she's going way back in the songbook, which we love here. We love that that older swing stuff and Fats Waller and Louis Armstrong. I mean, you're just giving me names that I can't resist here. Um, and so, Amen to that. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. And one thing is, Samara's voice here is just it's mesmerizing like I'm trying to when I'm sitting down and I'm listening you know we're listening to these albums we're trying to listen we're trying to really take a deep dive into what's going on and I found myself on this track I was trying to listen to and do that but I was like I couldn't do it I was just so mesmerized by her voice that I was just sitting there and listening I wasn't I didn't have much to think about I didn't have much to say I was just listening (laughs) yeah yeah it's captivating mesmerizing um you're in awe as you listen to her uh and there's there's more of the tradition in her version here because she does some more vocalese here too yeah yeah for sure so yeah we get another vocalization of a solo and this one this time i mean we're going back to lester young so we're going back to the the swing cats here the heavy swing cats my heart is beyond happy i'm in another realm of appreciation and i don't know it's like i'm constantly not not impressed impressed is not the right word but i don't know surprised in the best way possible i mean when you when you're alluding to lester young and specifically a recording lester young with the oscar peterson trio yes i mean that's going to be right up my alley i don't know about you but yeah, and it feels like we've talked we talked about this a little bit on the episode last week that there's in like the more modern approach we're kind of losing the reverence for like guys like Lester Young. It's like yeah, I'm like questioning if some of these more modern players and saxophones in particular it's like do you know who Lester Young is? Like, you know, like what's going on here? Like w- I don't know. And I I know that music evolves, but this is a great evolution of the music. Like listen to what she's doing and being able to combine all of these different aspects of the music and listen to so many different take inspiration from so many different artists, not just singers, but guys like right. Lester Young, guys like Fats Navarro. It's it's really, really brilliant. And it just this is just such an awesome recording and what a student of the game she is. It just shows how we can we've said it where we can't say it enough. It just continues to show itself. We just she's such a student of the music of the game. You have to respect Samara. You have to respect it. There's no option not to. She the Grammys she won, she, they're so incredibly well deserved for how big the music to have a jazz artist become best new artist. It's just how much she's doing for the music right now. It's it's well deserving of of respect. Uh, yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, you might want something new or different. Um, you know, I could say I could see somebody having some of those critiques. But I think what Samara Joy is doing right now is different for the simple fact of what you alluded to earlier, which is you have all of these other people not doing this, not attending um, or uh, excuse me, not really um promoting music that directly is influenced by the tradition you know ignoring cats like lester young i think many of the sax players or newer cats you're thinking of do know of lester young but they know him because his name exists in a book they haven't checked out his music at least not well enough to 
uh, transcribe it or be enthralled by it or understand how it connects to what they're doing now. Or maybe they do and they just have forgotten or they want to go away from it. I mean, you can do what you want as an artist, as a professional musician. But I'm just saying it's beyond refreshing what we're getting here from Samara. And because she's copying a a Lester Young solo, I mean, it's it's. It's beyond refreshing. And I'll say that later as we go on, too. But it's it's joyful. I think Samara Joy is a joy. And I know that's punny and stupid to say out loud, but I can't think of anything else to say. No, no, it's it's so true. There's actually I saw there was like, you know how the like uh, planes will like do like things in the sky sometimes, like the words in the sky. Uh-huh. I actually saw one that said, Samara, you are a joy. And she posts, she reposted on our Instagram. So it's not, you <laughs> well, know, you you're go. corny, but you're not too corny, like unlike the rest of everyone. So, but I, I completely agree with Max here. I, I think that he makes really good points there. Um, I had something I wanted to say and now it's, oh, 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 I was hyperbolizing a little bit when I said that cats saxophone players these days haven't heard of Lester Young, <laughs> but from their playing, it's like, you can't tell that they've listened to him or if they have right. or haven't. And I think Max made a really good point there, but yeah, obviously they've heard of Lester Young, but you can't tell it sometimes in, in their playing and the swing. Like, and I think one thing as well is like, I won't, you know, I don't mind if Samara decides to start to venture out a little bit but it's so obvious that she has a foundation for the music and she's willing to showcase that so it's just it's really awesome and i i yeah we really we applaud it here i want to um listen there's a cadenza at the end of the song and she's quoting from lester's solo um on i'm confessing now i want to listen to that her singing that cadenza at the end of the song and um and it's in that that Lester Young. It's a vocalise of the Lester Young ending. So I want us to listen to that here for a second. I uh, have to pull it up, though. So give me <laughs> one second. And I will say it was a little unexpected right there. I thought maybe, you know, she wouldn't uh, put words or, or vocalize the whole solo and that ending. I thought maybe she would do maybe the solo and then go into the lyrics or the head again and then end it the way she wants to. But she actually continues to quote Lester in the way he ended his solo. And she repeats that ending here Um, again, more more praise and applause. And and I'm just I'm just really surprised in in the best way possible. Yeah, it's just so intriguing. Like it's so yeah, it keeps you it keeps you interested. Yeah. So let's let's listen to, to what she's doing there. I have a confession to make and I try to resist but I can't help the way that I feel Mm. I love you so do And the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Samara. Um, <laughs> talk about th- talk about corny. Yeah. The other thing to say about that is, you know, she's not just just matching the Lester Young solo or putting or putting words to a, an improvisational solo and then performing it. She's matching 
excuse me, she's matching how Lester played it, um, which yep. is really important to understand because that means you're pulling it off if, if you're, you know, trying to match the inflection of Lester Young, the phrasing, um, the dynamics, what he does with his sound going in and out. You know, she's copying that, too. Um, so that's great to see. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I love that. Yeah, she's really going for that that sound that Lester has, which is really cool to see that she's not just doing the notes. She's doing she's emulating Lester, which is really awesome. Right. And then we get uh, some more music here. We get the eighth track on the album called Linger a While. Um, this is a tune written by Vincent Rose with the lyrics written by Harry Owens, first recorded in the year 1924. So we're we're going way back here. Um, again, mad respect for what's going on. If you don't know, Vincent Rose was an Italian-born violinist, composer, and band leader. He wrote over 200 songs, including Whispering and Avalon, which have become significant jazz standards over the years. Samara is surely influenced by Sarah Vaughn here again because she's doing the tune Linger a While, which Sarah Vaughn covered as well. Sarah's is short and sweet at a fast tempo. And what do you know? Samara's is also short and sweet at a fast tempo. Here they're really burning. I think we're going at like 350 or 360 beats per minute, mm-hmm. something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a 16 bar form, AA prime. We start with the rhythm section having hits, and then Kenny Washington is actually filling in the space on the drum set. So that's a key, uh, sorry, that's a really neat arrangement to keep track of how they're starting and ending this tune. We get a guitar solo that's very blazing. It's so quick, the speed. Um, but Pasquale gives us a lot. He begins by playing more rhythmically, again, reminding me of Herb Ellis. Then he goes straight into faster lines, and it's sort of fast lines galore until Samara comes back to sing the head out. And they end how they started with those rhythm section hits and the drum fills. And I want us to listen to the tail end of that final chorus and the outro as they end with those three hits and a final chord. The outro is very similar to the intro. You have gone away Each hour seems like a day So there you go. <laughs> I love hold on, I love how you could hear the one guy say, I don't know who it is. Listen for us. One guy goes, yeah, after they're done. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love I love that they left that in there. All in all, it's a it's a short track, again, reminiscent of Sarah Vaughn's version. It's a pleasant surprise how much of the tradition is illustrated and included on this record. Again, this tune is from the early 1920s. You just don't see that as much anymore. And again, it's beyond refreshing. I also find it hilarious and kind of humorous that uh, also ironic that the tune is called Linger a While, yet they don't linger at all. This this track <laughs> is less than two minutes. It's a minute and 40 some something seconds. So they're not lingering on anything. No, 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 no. I think what this track really is, is like a, it's like a statement, you know, it's like, it's like they're this is the title track of the album and it's just like boom like this is what this is you know like this is swinging hard 
it's not we don't need to draw it out this is what you're getting so i think it's it's interesting to do a title track in the way but no they don't linger at all they get right to the point with this track <laughs> which you know is different and you're right it, it means something it is saying something even though it's less than two minutes um and we know we've heard cats that can play 26 minute songs and don't say as much so enough on that let's go on to the ninth track called round midnight this is uh, one of the most recorded jazz standards ever i'm pretty sure yep. this one from Thelonious monk and there's there's some stuff going on here Dwayne. what you got for us yeah so like max said this track entitled round midnight sometimes referred to misreferred to as roundabout midnight i think miles davis misreferred to it as as that um, it's a 1943 composition, like Max said, by Thelonious Monk that very quickly became a jazz standard. And it's been recorded by so many different artists. It was subject to a the use in the title for the film, Round Midnight, which we've actually talked about that on the, the podcast. It came up in a trivia one time for Max, mm-hmm. who starred the veteran saxophonist and a guy that... I love very much, and I know Max enjoys as well, but maybe my favorite saxophonist, Dexter Gordon, in a fictional story about an expatriate American jazz musician living in Paris. I've actually never seen the film, so I self-admittedly need to need to watch that that movie. Um but like Max said, I think it is like the I think the stat is it's the most recorded jazz standard by a jazz written by a jazz musician of all time. Yeah. Yeah, um, you're right. That's I think it. that's what the the yeah. So very well known, very often played, and she's you know she's giving us these this great mix of standards, ones that are really well known and ones that don't get played or haven't been played as much, like can't get out of this mood. So really cool to get this track here. A little bit different of a feel on this track. There's a, an arranged aspect of this track. We get horns on this track. That horn arrangement is just really cool. I love the intro and that kind of interaction and the arrangement with the horns there. And this one, I just feel like there's so much Sarah Vaughn influence here and that that deep vibrato at times, um, the inflection, the dynamics. There's It's just giving me so much Sarah Vaughn on this track. And we've said this, I'm going to say it again. She makes it sound so, so easy. She's so easy to listen to. I love the trumpet solo on this song. Um, some of the lines that he plays are just really, really cool. I don't even know who's playing trumpet on this song. Max One does. second. He's got, the, got- <laughs> he's got the vinyl in front of him that has all the liner notes. Yeah, I'm looking on the vinyl copy I got. It was a birthday present to myself um, when I bought this. Well so, deserved. Uh, yeah, on Round Midnight, you got Terrell Stafford on trumpet. Okay. One of, yeah, one of the great current trumpet players. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Terrell Stafford. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, I love I love the trumpet solo on this. It's it's super swinging. And then there's just this really cool rubato section with Samara and um, Ben Patterson on piano, and it's just perfectly played. There, it's just so in the pocket, in tune with each other. She's so good at what she does. She's so musical. Ben Patterson is killing. I love that rubato section. And then after the rubato section, we get this rubato or this, uh, sorry, this Latin feel um, that goes into the cadenza at the at the end of the track. Max, what did you what do you think about this tune? The most surprising thing was the change in feel, and I I really dug it. Um, yeah. And I 
And I do say, I, I, I want to say there's one thing to catch when you're listening to it, and that's around the two-minute mark. There are these rhythmic hits from the horns, and they're still in sort of the ballad, typical swing feel you would expect, but they play the rhythmic hits that um, are kind of alluded to or played at the end during that Latin feel section. So um, they're kind of foreshadowing the, the change of feel that's going to happen as the tune progresses. And I think that's just a cool aspect to the arrangement here we, that we get around that two minute mark. Yeah, it's almost like a little Easter egg. They're like giving you that, you know, like a little bit yeah. early. And you, if you pick up on it like Max does, you can see what's coming. But, you know, most people probably just gloss right over it. Well, that's why we mention it here on the Jazz Jam. That's podcast. that's what we are here for, Max. Great, greatly right. said. That's literally our job. So if we can't do that, what are what are we here for? I know. But all right, are you ready for the last track on the album? Yeah, let's let's get into it. I'm, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's definitely some to get into with this track. Yeah, the tenth track is called "Someone to Watch Over Me." It's one of the great jazz standards that we know of. Written by George and Ira Gershwin. George, the music. Ira, the lyrics. One of the ultimate great American songbook and Broadway composing duo powerhouses, the Gershwins. The song was originally written for a 1926 musical called OK, K spelled K-A-Y like a name, and began, uh, begin, it began being covered by singers in a very slow ballad style by the late 1930s. And that's kind of how we know it. Um, and I've heard it today. Now, there is some controversy with the origin of this song. The uh, lyricist Howard Dietz, the famed song lyricist, uh, claims to have come up not only with the song's title, but also some of the lyrics to the tune, um, not just Ira Gershwin. And Howard Dietz was helping with the musical OK um, at a time when Ira was out for about six weeks because of uh, he was in the hospital for something and he couldn't work at that time. And so George brought or somebody brought Howard Dietz in, must have been George Gershwin, to work on the musical and to work on some of the lyrics. And Howard says he wrote a lot of the lyrics and the song title to someone um, to watch over me. But it's credited just to Ira Gershwin and George Gershwin. And so Howard Dietz does not receive credit. So there's a little controversy here with the the uh, origin and the the writing of the song. Yeah, we got some some jazz drama going on here. That's right, jazz drama. TMZ action. At it again. Howard says he wrote it. What do you say, Ira? Yeah. <laughs> so and that happens. We've talked about a little bit of a history of of cats, you know, kind of claiming credit or you know maybe not getting the credit for songs that they wrote. So. Yeah, there's another potential spot where this happened where someone was not credited for the the work that they did. Yeah, and and we've seen that before and we'll see it again. Yeah. <laughs> if you uh if you don't know someone to watch over me is an AABA form uh during the chorus, but there is a verse. And so this is a kind of one of those tunes that, you know, has a verse and sometimes you do it, sometimes you don't. It's up to you, but a lot of times singers especially and horn players will perform the verse. So it's a lot like the tune Stardust, where, you know, 
with other tunes, you wouldn't necessarily play the verse, but with Stardust, you definitely should, or, you know, you're mostly expected to. And so someone to watch over me is kind of like that. We kind of expect you to perform the verse. Of course, you don't have to, but at least here, Samira Joy does that. This version includes the verse and that's how they start and it's just duo so we just get vocals and guitar and i think this is a nice touch it's a nice change of pace they can get away with that because of the expansiveness of samara's voice and her presence and i love small group versions of ballads like this mm -hmm. um, it's a nice change of pace i think um the guitar player pasquale or pasquale uh does a lot of great things on this recording. He brings Samara in um, with some nice rhythmic light touches and the way he accompanies Samara is so perfect. He's moving along with her, not getting in her way. It's so complimentary while foundational at the same time. He's listening to where she is and this Roboto verse is harder to pull off than you may think. And again, it's another moment where it seems effortless. And I want us to listen to that together. This verse usually performed rubato, kind of like the verse on Stardust. So we're getting that here. And the way uh, the guitar interacts with the vocals is just sublime. Affair I cannot forget Only man I ever think of mm. with Regret to add his initial to my monogram tell me where is the shepherd mm, that's so so good isn't it so tasteful and in the you know like there's not a set pulse per se but there is a pocket that they're creating yes yes you know what i mean yeah um so it's just great to, to check that out listen for that interaction between the two the two parts there it's it's hard to match um samara then leads into the top of the chorus form with the typical line where you go one two three five six one two if you think about notes as numbers so that's kind of the the notes that lead into the top of the the main chorus form which is also similar to the notes of in a sentimental mood um that start off leading into the into the song form the difference is in a sentimental mood is definitely a minor tune so you're leading into a minor chord here we're kind of more major um and i i love the line that that leads into the melody i love the flexibility and the flowing movement of samara's vocals she dips and comes back in at times reminding me of sort of riding a windy slide at a water park it's kind of always kind of moving and if it's a good slide at a water park you don't know exactly what's coming next and that's kind of what Samara Joy delivers here. It's kind of hard to explain, but I want us to listen to just one moment of that together, and you'll get what I'm trying to say. All I can think about is water parks and amusement <laughs> parks right now. So we'll... we we go into all sorts of stuff here at the Jazz Jam. Yeah, Max has me thinking of water parks in January, February. So all right, let's let's listen to this section here from from Max. <laughs> Turns out to be. Mm. So 
Yeah. Yeah. It's right on that lyric, turns. Yeah. And she literally kind of turns the yep. vocal line there. Yeah, she bends it, yeah. And that's what our, that's where I'm getting sliding, this. Sliding through sli- the water yeah. park. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. It's a little cold for that, Max. I know it's probably definitely too cold for that in, in uh, Kansas City. Yeah, yesterday was actually kind of warm, but now it's it's cold again. Yeah, which so. speaking of Kansas City, the Chiefs. We're go- Yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl once again, baby. See you got to be watching? Yeah, of course. See if they can get it done. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know. They got to be in there. They're a little banged up, but but the we'll Eagles, see. the Eagles have had the easiest path to the Super Bowl. But this is not a sports podcast, so we're gonna move back <laughs> to music. Um, we're getting on a tangent. Chiefs, here. Chiefs, Eagles, Super Bowl. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. That's right, KC baby. Um, and again, those turns. It almost reminds me of the great singer who you know. There's some controversy with with Elvis Presley and in, in terms of. Um, his career and and you know he was heavily inf- influenced by black artists and and now we we're kind of um we're kind of hesitant to give praise to elvis but i want to say when elvis is singing ballads in particular he would bend certain notes just like samara joy is doing here um and so that was just a moment that reminded me of elvis at least his ballad singing um and that's just sort of a personal connection to make and, and something to listen for as you're listening to singers and vocalists perform ballads. What are the things that they do? What are their inflections? How do they move certain lyrics from one, one point to another? So those are just things to listen for in general. Um, again, I think Grasso on guitar continues to amaze me with his line movement and accompaniment of Samara, especially on the second A section going into the bridge when they're going back to the A section from the bridge, basically Pasquale Grasso really shines on the transitions from one song section to another, which is impressive because those are the moments that separate the men from the boys. What are you <laughs> going to do in those transitions when you're playing a, a jazz standard like this? And I think he does a great job. Um, Samara's vibrato during the bridge is also divine. I want us to listen to that together. I'm just amazed by how her control of the vibrato makes the song come alive. Be the man girls think of as handsome to my heart he carries mm. the key <laughs> what I tell you, right? Oh my God. I mean, that's just what we were talking about earlier with her kind of using the vibrato in such an intelligent and musical way. It's, oh, that is full display there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then another cool thing is the very end where she splits and sort of pauses in between the syllables and the word over. So she holds out a note um, paired by a chord sounding almost diminished to me on just the O sound of the, the O syllable and over and the word over. And then she pauses before finishing the word. So she'll say ver (laughs) the syllable into the last word of the tune me. And so she, she puts this pause in the word over that really stuck out to me. And I think that's a great arranging moment here that I wasn't expecting on this ending. 
I think we should listen to that together. Someone to watch. Just a little vibrato there. Just a little at the end. Just yeah. a touch. A just little a, lingering vibrato. Just a, just a sprinkle at the end. <laughs> yeah. This is a great last track to end on. I think it's so powerful. Um, it, there's just so much in there. And it, she, she just delivers over and over again. And, and uh, in surprising ways. You know, that just the way she phrased that ending was a little unexpected. Yeah, for sure. I think this is a, a fantastic track. Um, a few notes. I love ending the album in this way, a vocal and guitar duo. That's just so in tune. They're so in tune with each other. Um, everything she's doing is is right on point with this one. And Pasquale Grasso does an absolutely phenomenal job with his comping gear and throughout the entire track. Um, he just adds so much to the track without ever overshadowing what Samara is doing. That is not easy to do. It is extremely musical from him. He's he really stands out. I mean, they both stand out to me on this track. Just power power duo on this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also, you know, it's a little unexpected to have both guitar and piano on the same album on the same record. I mean, we get it with Oscar Peterson trio. Yep. Um, and that was, you know, sort of the evolution of his trio, the reasons why that occurred, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily the go-to thing. And I think the way Samara and the gang use the piano versus the guitar is another, is another stellar aspect to this recording. And I think the guitar shines when it's used versus you know when the piano is is shining through and its use i I think they're both used in excellent ways and this is a great example of that yeah and i feel like there's a little bit of a subtle like reverence for the oscar peterson trio and kind of the instrumentation the choice to do that lester young with oscar peterson that kind of herb ellis feel in pasquale grasso it just feels like there's kind of like this underlying subtle touch of that Oscar Peterson trio feel in, in what she's doing. And I definitely appreciate it. some of the cats that she plays with are just super swinging, like, and you know, the Oscar Peterson kind of feel. Exactly. And I wasn't getting that connection right away, but I, I think you're, you're hitting it that, you know, there's obviously a Sarah Vaughn connection, obviously, you know, Betty, Betty Carter, Ella Fitzgerald, um, there's the Lester Young, there's the Fats Navarro, but there's also the Oscar Peterson trio and the Oscar sort of approach to playing yep. and feeling your way through this music. Yeah, and it's subtle, but it I, I I notice it, and as well as so many other. We could probably say there's subtle touches of this or that throughout it, but I just definitely get it, especially in like these kind of like the guitar and piano kind of thing, like Max was saying. So, yeah. Well, let's move on to our top threes and our not so hot track question mark um and then (laughs) let's move into our overall album thoughts and ratings before we we wrap it up so max why don't you go ahead with your uh top three on this album and we'll talk about our our not so hot on this one i want to preface this by saying i think any three tracks you could combine together to have a top three and and you could defend that wholeheartedly and i would not have a problem with it 
So it was really tough for me to pick just three in the top three. I didn't know what to sort of um, weigh against something else. I didn't know exactly what stuck out to me more than others. I think it all kind of has purpose. It all kind of sticks out to me at moments. Um, There's just great thing after great thing after great thing. But to me, the most uh, sort of almost obvious number one is guess who I saw today. Not only because it's a great version in and of itself, but all the things Samara Joy gives us along the way, the way the instruments interact with her, the way um, she phrases everything. You can clearly tell what she's about from this recording of Guess Who I Saw Today. And, you know, it's 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 well known, but it's not one of the most well-known standards to perform. And so I think another great aspect of Samara is her ability to choose songs and to perform them well. And when you're creating a set list and a curation for an album, it's it's kind of a challenge in and of itself to do that. And I think Samara knocks it out of the park. And guess who I saw today is the exemplified example for that. Number two, I chose Nostalgia. That's the Fats Navarro tune where she did vocalese on the solo. I was just so impressed by her ability to move in and out of certain ranges and to and to you know produce bop vocalizations in such a in such a an impressive and outstanding way. Number three is I'm confessing that I love you. The other vocalese track on the album where she's imitating and emulating the great Lester Young. If you do that, you're going to be one of my favorites. I love Lester. He, he can swing. He has soul and she has those things too. And so those are my top three. But honestly, if you know, if arranging is your thing, Round Midnight and Linger a While could be in your top three. You know, I just could see so many different combinations. If energy and swing is what you want to emphasize, then your top three are Sweet Pumpkin, Social Call, and, and you know, one of the others. So, so it's like, what do you want? Yep. What are you choosing to emphasize in your top three examples of great tunes from this album? There's just so many directions you could go. I think those are fantastic points, Max. I can't say it any better myself. And the reason that Max did not give a not so hot for this album is because Max and I, we both had tried to pick not so hots and we kind of, we made this, this decision that we're not going to do really ever or very often at all. We decided that we're not going to pick not so hots for this album. We just don't think that it's even right. We don't think there are, there is a track that's not so hot. It just, she just won so many awards at the Grammys. She gets the not so hot exemption because everything that she does is hot. It is on point. So we're not going <laughs> to yeah. say not so hot to anything because that's, it's not, it's not fair on this one. So that's why Max didn't go with a not so hot. And I, I agree with what Max said. I think that this, and there's a, it's like a top 10 on this album. I mean, it's just like whatever order <laughs> yeah, you really. want to put them in. Um, so I think it just boils down to personal preference. And like Max said, he, he said it so well. If you like the swing tunes, you go with social call and sweet pumpkin, you know? And, but so for me, my, my personal top three, I think guess who I saw today is just so emotionally connected. It's just so fantastic. I love that that part of music and the emotional connection that we get from music. So I picked guess who I saw today. I think it is, like I said, it's going to be one of the renditions of the tune. So I think for that reason, it is, it's my number one. 
Um, I picked Can't Get Out of This Mood for number two. We talked about just how catchy it is. I can't stop singing it. And I that's why I have to put it in my top three. If I'm sitting if I'm walking around every day of my life for the past two weeks singing this song, <laughs> I gotta put it in my top three. I can't get the song out of my head. Can't get out of this mood, can't get it out of my head. So I I love that tune. I just love it. It's like not a well-known standard. I love that to do a not so well-known standard. So it's that's a fun that's a fantastic song. My my number 2. And then my number 3 is just something that's just so different and so well done. It's someone to watch over me. Pasquale and and Samara here. It's just brilliant. It's so in tune. It's so musical. And so I definitely think that Pasquale deserves recognition on the album and i think they do a fantastic job there and that that tune is just it speaks to me um for sure so yeah uh different top threes but i respect everything that max said about his i love those tracks that he put in his the ones that i didn't have so yeah top 10 top three whatever whatever you like on this one i'm i'm cool with it let's get into our overall album thoughts and our ratings for the album i'll go ahead and go first we'll try to get through our overall thoughts and our ratings kind of succinctly um, and then we'll wrap it up. But so my overall thoughts are um, Samara Joy's debut verve, verve recording is one that comes with much acclaim and now a Grammy to its name. And this is for very good reason. Her winning best new artist may come as a surprise. Pop artists are much more favored in this category by the Academy, but it's not a mistake. She is here to stay and here she is here and here to stay. And this album is a statement of just that. Her vocals are so dynamic, versatile, agile, and overall, they are timeless. Her reverence for the tradition and the greats of the past is ever-present in this recording. She has a stark resemblance to Sarah Vaughn in her tone and vibrato, but has obviously been influenced by many others and not just singers, and this is well evident in her performance here. The selection of standards, both well-known and some for a, from a little more deep in the stack, is such a great journey through the songbook and shows how well-versed Samara is and her reverence for so many different composers and musicians throughout the music. Her rendition of Guess Who I Saw Today is so emotionally connected, and she is able to deliver that song in a way that means so much more than words and notes on a sheet of paper. The vocalized transcripts the vocalized transcriptions of the solos on Nostalgia and I'm Confessing are absolutely brilliant and shows us how deep her musical understanding and ability really is. The wherewithal to do this in such a musical and unique fashion is unbelievable from an artist that is still so young. The band deserves an immense amount of praise on this album. They do such a fantastic fantastic job providing the canvas for Samara to shine her light upon. They're so musical. They're so musically sensitive to all the intricacies of playing with a vocalist. It's just so swinging at all times. Pasquale Grasso is such a nice addition to certain tracks as well and really shines on the guitar and vocal duo of the closer, Someone to Watch Over Me. This album is absolutely an instant classic and deserves all of the rec- the recognition it has received, as does Samara Joy for her emergence as an artist, not only in the jazz scene, but also breaking into the mainstream as well. She's a fantastic representative of the music, both as a person and as a musician, and I'm very much looking forward to watching her career blossom. 
this album is an absolute listen and not just once on repeat over and over again. And for that reason, I give it a 9.1 out of 10 on this one. Yeah, well said. I think Samara Joy has hit the national stage undeniably, having just won the 2023 Grammy for Best Jazz Vocal Album for this very record and Best New Artist. At just 23 years old, she is the new vocal sensation that demands our attention. I am ecstatic over what she delivers on Linger A While. It's heavy-hitting swing with a big nod to the fundamental elements that make up jazz. Her vocal style, flexibility, control, tone, and inflection is unapologetically illustrated here. I am enamored with everything she is doing on this album. Not only does Samira deliver great treatment of melody, as witnessed on Social Call and Sweet Pumpkin, but she also delivers an array of jazz vocal practices, including vocalese, a jazz style of singing where words are added to an improvisational solo. This happens on I'm Confessing That I Love You, where she added lyrics to a Lester Young solo over that tune. She sings excellently, imitating Lester's dynamics and sound in addition to getting the notes right. Samira does this again on Nostalgia, quoting Fats Navarro's solo, while also adding lyrics to the main melody. Samira blows me away on her version of Guess Who I Saw Today. Her tempo, feel, and inflections are stellar. Everything she sings is meaningful. The inclusion of Linger a While and Can't Get Out of This Mood, as well as Misty, showcase an apparent influence of Sarah Vaughn. I think there's a bit of Betty Carter in the mix, too. Her emphasis on emotional inflection at times reminds me a bit of Billie Holiday. Albeit to say that Samira has done her homework, she is well-studied and delivers a powerful performance, undoubtedly. The other great aspect of this recording is the presence of a killer accompaniment. Pasquale Grasso on guitar is a treat to experience. His fills, groove, sound, and solos are absolutely on point. I respect his bop-heavy ideas, in addition to his swing-heavy rhythmic hits, often used here too. Grasso's musicianship is undeniable on nostalgia and someone to watch over me. Bassist David Wong and drum legend Kenny Washington do not disappoint, laying a solid foundation and a nice energy to the music. It's nice to hear Kenny open the tune linger a while, and he delivers a strong swing throughout the record. Steinway artist and pianist Ben Patterson's feel and soloistic prowess is featured nicely on Misty and Social Call. The inclusion of a horn section on Round Midnight is a nice touch, too. Samara Joy is beyond a joy to listen to. She is steeped in study of the jazz vocal tradition while having a strong background as a gospel singer. Samara has shaken up the game. I think this record is refreshing. In a modern age where we're constantly bombarded with constantly new attempts to reinterpret jazz music, we get this record that ultimately solidifies the very essence of historical jazz practice. This proves you can still play or sing from the great American songbook and receive immense acclaim. You can emulate greats like Fats Navarro and Lester Young and still be exciting and interesting. The influences of greats like Sarah Vaughn are still necessarily present and revealed to be timeless in our modern era. Linger a while illustrates that classic jazz is still hip. 
Samara Joy's Verve debut deserved the Grammy Award, and her sensational presence on the world stage is beyond refreshing. My faith in the future of this music we call jazz has been restored. Overall score, 9.2 out of 10. We thought we lost Max for a while. He's been <laughs> he's restored. He is back. Thank you, Samara. We are forever grateful. But no, I great, great points there. I mean, it's just it's awesome to have someone like Samara in in the scene and in the jazz scene. She's just she's so killer. I hope to see her live someday. That would be really, really cool. Um You know, I got tickets to see her in St. Louis, but unfortunately I just came up I just got aware that there's a gig i have on the same night and i can't go to her performance and i I may have to reschedule my ticket or find a different night to go i i it's just i would really like to see her when she's in st louis in may yeah that sounds like i mean what a time to see her too so if there's any way to make it out i mean i yeah i definitely am going to be looking at where she's you know going to be near me so yeah, just an awesome album. Really cool to go over and awesome time to do it. I'm kind of glad that we waited until after the Grammys because, uh, you know, we got to do it after she won the Grammy and kind of talk about all that and Best New Artist. We wouldn't have known that she won Best New Artist if we did this um, last week. So cool, cool thing uh, that we pushed it off. But let's um, go ahead and wrap up with that and kind of just quickly tell you what our episode next week is going to be. Our episode next week, actually, it's going to be, um, we're going back. We've done a few modern albums in a row because we're leading up to the Grammys. We're going back in time. We're doing a listener recommendation, which we love. This comes from a follower on Instagram who also listens to the podcast. Um, he said that this is an album that he really enjoys, but is maybe not well known. So I've never listened to it, but it's got some really cool, um, cool cats on it. So the album is entitled Afternoon in Paris by John Lewis and Sasha Distel. Um, some really cool cats such as uh, Kenny Clark, Percy Heath, um, Connie Kay on it. So going to be a, a fun listen. We're really happy to do a listener recommendation. If you have any albums that you think that we should take a look at, maybe we haven't heard, most people haven't heard, definitely reach out. We're, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to get to them the best we can, and we got to this one as quickly as we could. So just thank you to that follower um, and that listener for, for sending this one our way. We're super excited to get into it next week. Yeah, and if anyone is listening, you want to recommend an album for us to go over, maybe you have questions about or something you really dig that maybe you think should be recognized more in the forefront of this music or or you want us to discuss something in particular, please reach out. We have the email, thejazzjampodcast at gmail.com. We have the website. You can reach out to us there. Um, so many ways to get in contact with us, including our Instagram page, which now has over 100 followers and we're getting some DMs and there's some engagement happening. So feel free to send us more recommendations. Yeah, for sure. We, we'd love to take a look at that stuff. But so cool. This has been a really, really informative, awesome, awesome episode going over Linger a while. Thank you all for listening and congrats to Samara Joy for all of the accomplishments in the Grammy Awards. And so we will catch you next week. This has been an episode of the Jazz Jam Podcast. Me. I'm as helpless.